everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller, Regional Master Instructor, here with fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Bats. Wendy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Marty. How are you? Good. Always excited for our roundtable and really excited this week because we have a special guest. Yes, we do. And I mean, I'm really excited because this man has gone through everything. And um, when you think about exercise science, whether it's training, whether it's teaching, whether it's doing research, um, and then being a part of NASM, he checks all of those boxes. So Marty, do you want to introduce our guest? Tell us a little bit about him. I will be happy to. So on this week's Master Instructor Roundtable, we have a great opportunity to speak with Dr. Tony Ricci. Dr. Ricci is an assistant professor for health and human performance, as well as an adjunct faculty for the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience at Nova Southeastern University down here in South Florida, just saying. <laughs> so for the past 35 years, he has dedicated his energies and career to the study of human performance. Tony is also the owner and founder of Fight Shape International, a multidiscipline performance enhancement company through which he has coached scores of professional athletes in fight sports, including seven world champions in MMA, boxing and kickboxing, and consults on mental performance across all sports and movement arts. Key thing here, he also serves on the advisory board for National Academy of Sports Medicine and authored a chapter in the updated and soon to be released Performance Enhancement Specialist textbook. So without any further ado, let's bring in Dr. Ricci. There he is. All right, Marty, Wendy, thanks for having me today. Always uh, a pleasure and an honor to spend time with those from the National Academy of Sports Med. Uh, same uh, here, thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. And again, we're so excited to have you a part of this Master Instructor Roundtable, because like I said, when I when I learned all about you and then speaking to you, I was just fascinated with all the things that you've done and are currently doing. And so I know myself, because I also teach for a university and I'm a trainer and I do things for NASM, I love every little component of what I do and I can't choose one, so I still do all three. And it right. sounds like we have a lot in common that way. But for our listeners to kind of get to, like, get to know more about you, can you kind of go through where you started, you know, before we end up all the fun stuff of where you're at currently? Okay, so I think uh, in a brief summary, uh, I was a young kid who fell in love with human performance, actually at a very young age. Uh, when I was a boy, the Olympics were very different than what they are now. And I would watch them all the time. And they were very much based in uh, the traditional sports of the Olympics. So boxing, wrestling, weightlifting. And I remember watching it with my, with my dad. And I really took a liking to all of those elements the weightlifting, the boxing, the wrestling. So at a very young age, I got inspired to get into sports and athletics. Now, with that said, I didn't play too much into scholastic because we had a family business and my first priority for my parents was working. But nevertheless, on the side, I got to working out. I would go take, you know, karate and all kinds of stuff. Judo lessons, a little bit of boxing. I tried that. It wasn't very good, but, uh, that, but I still do it to this day. Point is, I fell in love with sports, and then fortunately, at a very young age, uh, well, let me say this: at very young in the industry, a, a new major came out, pretty new actually, called exercise physiology, and it was new at the time. So I'm, you know, I've done a lot of things. That's only because I'm older. Everyone else will accomplish the same. But uh, then I went to school for exercise, and then continued to uh, go on a journey in which I was training athletes and learning and training myself and, and training at a very high level uh, in jujitsu. And I didn't compete, but really working intensely. 
And as you all know, what happens is you go to exercise physiology, you spend three or four years doing that and training athletes and reading and learning. And then you see, well, I don't know enough about nutrition. Then you go back to school. Okay. But so I did a master's sports science and then went on to a nutrition master's. And then again, we ran into the same problem a few years later. Well, you know, I should have my doctorate and I don't know enough about this. So went back to school, did a doctorate in what is, it was more nutrition, health science, epidemiology type uh, degree. And then one more time that happened, trained world-class athletes and spent much of my adult life going, wow, you know, we're, we're really doing well. We're training these athletes well. We're enhancing their performance by every measurable marker. They're eating well. Their, their motor skill acquisition is improving. Everything's doing great. And then I watched their mind within seconds take everything they did in a 12-week camp as an example. And it was mitigated and muted in just a matter of three minutes due to anxiety or the pressures of the given event. And I, and I said, you know, now I think I've got to go back to school and study sports technology because <laughs> I still don't know enough. And Marty and Wendy, now I'm saying I better go back and study more neuroscience. So anyway, that's my journey, always being with athletes and always finding out what I don't know and consistently trying to learn more in, in that that I think is great. Um, it's challenging, but there's so much to know. And that's why I think we all love it. Well, I think that's why both Wendy and I love being around NASM, you know, because it's one of those things where we drive each other to always either go dig out the next information. We bounce ideas off each other, but there's a consistency, as you know, with all of us, you know, that are associated with NASM, including our amazing people here watch today is it's that passion to always learn more. We know that there's always going to be more that we don't know. But to me, that excites me about this industry. And, you know, where I think that, um, you know, you're just that passionate learner. And, you know, I've always told uh, personal trainers, don't look at your continuing education as expense. Look at it as an investment and really try to pay attention to the things that you don't know, because if you invest your time and money and resources properly, who knows what's going to happen career wise, but something always does. So if you were going to give some words of wisdom, maybe people who aren't quite fully committed yet to go get that next degree or PhD, can you just share how maybe you had some blind faith in your education and maybe with some of the surprises that came along the way? Yeah. You know, Marty, you just really articulated it very well because you, you said, you know, make the investment and then things come to you. I am doing a lot of things today that I never thought or ever imagined I was doing. And what it has to do mostly with is, I would say this, if you really love a given discipline, there are going to be days you get up and you obviously, no matter how much you love something, you may have doubts. You don't always feel, hey, wow, is this the right thing to be doing? Or, But stay consistent. Uh, you, you made a statement, and Wendy alluded to it as well, about continuing to learn. And that is really my, my, you know, word, I don't even want to use the word advice, but some thoughts that I could share, because when you continue to learn, uh, things come to you. They really do. Opportunities come to you. Uh, different, you meet different people. So every time somebody wants to get their, maybe a different certification from National Academy of Sports Medicine, uh, they're going to meet different leaders in the organization, potentially, if they do a workshop or, you know, they're going to meet different people to study with the exam for. As you continue to learn, great experiences come to you. So the only thing I could really say in regards to a path 
is exactly that. Stay consistent. If you love it, don't leave it. It's going to come back to you. Dividends, merits, if you, you know, I should say rewards. But simultaneously, just keep learning because the learning is the journey in which you meet new people. And the, the career then starts to come to you. you if you asked me 30 years ago, would I be a college professor? <laughs> you know, most college professors were trying to throw me out of class. That makes two of us. Uh, three of us. I can go back to high school. Like, <laughs> right. I, was, I was in so, trouble in high school. There you go. Kind of, it was that passion. That was the key thing. That's what I'm yep. going to Yeah. So it's the journey of just keep learning. And then the world seems to open up for you. Awesome. Um, well, I have a question too, because, you know, obviously with NASM, we are grateful that we get new people coming in and taking our NASM CPT, learning about our specializations and growing in their education and changing usually because they love fitness, they have that passion for it. So, you know, you said in the beginning, you know, you used to work and then you decided that, you know what, you loved the human performance and human movement science and all that. When, how did you start? Because again, you've trained some very high profile athletes. Mm -hmm. And so when you start in the industry, I mean, I have done that. Marty has done that. We, we actually kind of latched on to the right people at the right time that kind of helped us get to that point in our career. It wasn't that, you know, that we just blindsidedly just ended up working with athletes. So right. can you kind of say to our, our, I don't want to call newbies, but I mean, people that really want to train professional athletes, how do you, how did you get there? Because again, you train a different type than Marty and I do. And, right. um, and I, I find it fascinating on how you kind of went that route. Well, I, I think Wendy, it, it, to some extent it's, it is related to what we said previously. And that is uh, if you're consistent in the field. So, and, and I try to say this to all the young college students, you know, uh, as well. And, and many of um, those who aspire to get the certified personal trainer, for example, through, NASM. If you start in a given discipline, if you start personal training and you're consistent with it, you work hard within that industry, somebody is going to eventually have a friend whose son is a boxer or whose daughter is a kickboxer. So for me, I was around fighting. I will say that a lot. A lot of my friends and, you know, I did some different, a host of different martial art forms. So it was always around it. But what really happened is there's two ways I could really recommend one staying consistent and being open to asking people about, you know, Hey, do you know anybody in this particular discipline? Do you know anybody that does this? I really want to get involved in fight sports as an example, but personal training is if you're in personal training, it is an opportunity to meet scores of different people across the board. And by doing that, opportunities opened up. But also, if you like fight sports, as an example, be around it. So one of the things I did, you know, you have the opportunity today to so many good, Marty knows too, in South Florida, endless great jujitsu gyms. Henzo Gracie, Gracie Barra, you know, we have so many good practitioners down here. So what you can do is invest yourself in the sport that you like, right? Um, go to a jujitsu gym, join a boxing gym. And say, hey, you know, I'm a trainer and I'm an expert in human performance and here's what I do. And I think, you know, I'd really like to work with athletes in this given discipline. So it always requires some entrepreneurship. If, if we just say, here's what my cert covers and here's what my degree covers, I think we're in for a life that may not be or meet up to the expectations we hope. 
So, but I remember I started in personal training, not fight sports. And I had 15, 20 clients. And you know what? Eventually they said to me, my daughter wants to do this. I wound up training ballerinas. I never thought I would do that. I wound up on tour with musicians um, and very popular ones. So by starting that training business, many opportunities can open. And whatever sport you want to be involved, whatever capacity you can be invested in it, do that. Participate. Volunteer. So I just have one side question before I, you said to participate in the sport. So I'm, I'm just, did you participate in ballet? Or... <laughs> no, you, unfortunately I did not. But if I could do it all over again, you might see me at Kirov or the American Ballet Theater because I, <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite movement arts. I Very really nice. love it. I just had to ask. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> for all of you that are joining us, we are here with Dr. Tony Ricci, who is on the NASM Scientific Advisory Board. He's got a wealth of knowledge and years of experience. And we found out that he did not participate in ballet, but he's trained ballerinas. <laughs> so no, that is amazing. But, you know, I'm passionate about martial arts. And like you said, I did it for fitness. And then I did stumble into the business side of things. But, you know, you just never know. I think it's keeping that open mind. But, Tony, you know, see what you think about this. This is a, a take that I've always had on it. I think a lot of people aspire to work with elite athletes because it, it, it sounds cool. Yep. And then also what you're around is awesome. But you know, sometimes there's that challenge of taking somebody that's great and just getting them a little bit better. But over my years, looking back now, I think one of the side benefits of working in elite sports is when you really see new trends in fitness, almost all of them come from the years that elite sports has done it like recovery. I was doing recovery with the Yankees in 2007. Right. That's not new, but it finally trickles. So that's one of the reasons why I do encourage some of our younger people that are like, yeah, I don't know if I want to deal with athletes. Everybody that you train is an athlete. You it's just are. what's their ability in those capacities. But you might catch some of the science a little bit quicker. So what's your thoughts on some of that? I, I Boy, that is as if I spoke it, Marty. That <laughs> is stated so wonderfully. First, that a lot of what we do did start in sports science research. Absolutely right. Because the, the demand for performance excellence trickles down. Eventually, we learn things, we learn new strategies, and that will trickle down to the general population. A lot of what we see today, right, people using tires or sledgehammers or whatever it is, some old boxing workouts that started many years ago. And then more scientific principles, people using post-activation, for example, or potentiation mm -hmm. in, in uh, general population. So I couldn't agree with you more that the trends start there. But what you said, I've, I tell this to the students all the time, everyone is an athlete. They are. I've been doing this way longer than I haven't been. And I have never had anyone say to me, you know, Tony, I'm getting leaner. I'm adding a little muscle. I'm losing a little fat. I like the way I look. I have really good energy. I'm feeling great. I'm focused. I'd like to really slow down, gain a little <laughs> body fat. Uh, lose all my muscle tissue and have my joints fake. My point, no one has ever said that to me. So everybody wants the same goal as an athlete, improve performance in everyday life. It's just to what extent. And I think when we treat people and clients, particularly in personal training, in that capacity, it's a lot more exciting too. And I think they like it because sure, if in the beginning, and I don't have an extensive fitness background, we have the protocols to start them significantly you know, at significantly lower intensities. But when they're treated like athletes, you see it, they love it. They love to hit some mitts in boxing or do a couple of things that a pro MMA fighter does on a box jump. Couldn't agree with you more. Sport has given us wonderful 
wonderful uh, protocols to train with. And everyone truly is an athlete. They have the same objective. It's just how extreme is it? Exactly. I love it. Well, and I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears here because, you know, I get this question a lot. And so I'm going to ask you to see if we have some parallels here, but, you know, I, you know, started training. Um, again, I've trained all different types of clients from people right out of surgery, all the way to the highest level and everyone in between. And then they're like, well, then how are you a teacher? So, you know, I'm a professor. Marty started teaching as an adjunct as well. He actually started teaching before I did. And I do that full time. So it's my full time gig. This is my fun job, too, where yeah. I get to work with people as well as work with NASM. And so, you know, I know my journey and my path of how I went from just training and focusing on that was because of NASM. That's actually how I ended up getting into the university. Um, I work for Cal U that's soon to be Penn West because of the integration that's happening. And, um, and so for me, it's literally taking the NASM methodology and applying it into my courses because I know it works. And our university holds those NASM, you know, certifications and specializations in there. And therefore, because I was a master instructor, they asked me to become a teacher and because they couldn't get rid of me, then they asked me to go from part-time to full-time. And so, you know, with you, your specialization is sports neuroscience, which I find so fascinating within itself. And you told us actually kind of why a little bit in the beginning, but how do you go from, you know, working with these athletes and, you know, owning your own business into, you know what, now I want to teach. Yeah, that was a, that's a great question. So how it started for me, and this was my point also earlier, Wendy, like, I, I didn't pursue teaching immediately. So I, it wasn't really on my mind. So what happened, I also used to be a direct uh, a director for health and wellness at Pfizer Pharmaceutical. Uh, the, and I worked in the internal health and wellness program. So some of the people that were part of the program had graduated from Long Island University, which was in Brooklyn. So they had contacts there. And LIU had called and said to my good friend, Matt uh, D'Anafio, who was a colleague of mine at Pfizer and graduated from that university. Hey, do you know anybody who can teach a course? We're kind of in a jam. It was a last minute thing. So Matt had asked me, I went and met the individuals who ran the program and I started as an adjunct. And I have to tell you that, so that's how it started. And that was what I meant earlier by, if you just do these things in life, opportunities kind of do come. I, I, they don't fall on your lap, but they open up. And anyway, I, I started teaching there at LIU in Brooklyn. I was still up north at the time as an adjunct, fell in love with it. They hired me in 2014 full-time. And then fortunately, the, the opportunity at Nova opened up. So I came down a year ago to be here. So teaching for me, like I said, wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to be a university professor. Started as an adjunct, fell in love with teaching young students information, especially when they, they loved something that I loved. I feel an obligation to my students because of that fact. They're young, aspiring individuals who fell in love with something that I fell in love with when they were when I was their age. So I owe it to them to really give them the best possible uh, product I can as a university professor. That's how I got involved. And now I wouldn't go anywhere else. I love it. That's kind of, I know Marty and I too, when you see, like you see the students get it. And we do this even in our workshops. It's that aha moment and it, in that light switch. And all of a sudden it's like every, all the information kind of clicks together. It's a game changer. And I know as a professor that I find so many rewards in that alone that it just makes me keep coming back each and every year 
trying to update my courses to make them, you know, like with the most current and updated research, but then also trying to take what's in the book and bring it to life. And, um, and so, you know, and Marty, not to really jump in here too, but with your classes, like what do, what exactly are you teaching and how does that relate to kind of where you came from, if you will? Oh, yeah, sorry. That, that's to me, Wendy or Marty? My, yeah, no, that's to you. Hey, I'm going to ask him this question. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, well, I started, I started teaching the class I first started teaching at the, at the time I started my background, you could say was pretty extensive in sports science, ex-phys and nutrition. But I actually started by teaching a class that was called cardiovascular health and pathology. And that was a class that looked at cardiovascular disease, particularly atherogenesis, in great detail. That was where I structured the class. I moved it from, you know, congenital or genetic conditions into adult onset conditions because look at America where we are. It, it, unfortunately, those are our priority right now. But uh, once that started, um, then they, I moved into the exercise science department. So, you know, they, I taught everything. I taught uh, strength and conditioning. Um, sports nutrition, developmental nutrition, corrective exercise specialist, the NASM course, which I love, the students loved it, as well as the PES, performance enhancement specialist, public health. I, I don't know what I did in teach. I always offered. But the reason why it's great is if you will broaden, you know, the old saying, teaching's learning twice. So I had to learn information that I wasn't always primed on. So the subject matters were quite diverse. But then it became a little bit more of a specialty after I went into the sports psychology. And so now my focus is in sports psychology, performance psychology at NOVA, we, and, and strength and conditioning next size fizz. So that's another cool thing is, you know, as a professor, you can evolve too. Your subjects can evolve. You're not always locked into one course or one discipline. And you can learn new material. You can get another degree or learn, get another certification. And by doing that, you create new coursework as well. And that's wonderful. It's fun and it keeps it interesting. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. Because uh, now I got some ideas. I'm going to ask you about questions. But just to introduce Dr. Ritchie, if you're just joining us today, uh, we are going over uh, great information with Dr. Richie, he is an advisory board member for Nash County Sports Medicine and also an assistant professor for health and human performance at Nova Southeastern down here in South Florida. And I think what you were kind of alluding to is the evolution in, a, in my mind, at least that's what makes me think of fitness. You know, fitness used to be the biggest guy in the gym or most fit gal, then maybe a certification. And now look at us with advanced degrees and things like that. And, you know, I came out of a, a sports medicine side, but then blended in. But now it's common place that a bachelor's and master's is not uncommon. And now we see more people like ourselves getting into and doing the doctorate. And, you know, Wendy's got advanced degrees. So it's like, I feel that our generation's laying the groundwork for people next to take that next step. Cause we've always talked about how, you know, and I'm assuming you might be thinking the same way as we wanted the career to be a little more structured in education, not just for the sake of chasing degrees, but because there's so much information. I mean, you just talked about all these different things that you've studied. So I think it's phenomenal that, you know, you're a leader in, in being inspirational too, showing that, that no matter what you accomplished, you were always looking forward to the next not because it was just to put initials after your name. It's because you found a, 
opportunity and maybe weakness where you weren't as comfortable and then you saw it grow. So with that, where do you think we're going in five to 10 years if you had to get your crystal ball out? That's, you know, Marty, and this is great because it's so exciting. And I, and this is another thing I, I say to the students, I think maybe to a large extent, we're going to see, obviously sports science, I, I think as technology grows and analytics grow, right? That's going to be a wonderful field. The sports teams or athletes use that, or even analytics trickling down or the ability to use technology to help individuals monitor their performance, whether it just be sleep or heart rate variability, all of that is going to increase. I think the sports technology and sports science side is going to have a really bright future, which is why at NOVA we've you know, really put a lot of emphasis on EMS and sports science. But simultaneously, there'll be more branches off or more niches where, you know, again, you'll have just people working in performance psychology, people working. Another thing, another great point you brought up, Marty, when, when I was younger, a strength coach was a strength coach for all sports. They, they may have done five sports. Now, people invest, as we talked about earlier, a lifetime into one given athletic discipline just to be a strength coach for that. So I think there are going to be more branches and subdivisions of or specialties in the overall exercise science, sports science, exercise physiology window. Uh, and that's encouraging because there are more and more opportunities opening up. Some we can see and some unforeseen. But to give you an example, there are exercise physiologists now who are being hired by teams to be sleep specialists. Uh, and neuroscientists are being hired by baseball teams to be sleep specialists. You have directors, you have the strength coach, you have mental performance coaches. So in within the disciplines that we have, there's a multitude of ways to branch. I think it's exciting. I think the world loves sport. Uh, if the world loves sport, there will be endless opportunities in the sport performance side. But also to your point, I think as things trickle down from that, we'll have more people in personal who, who seek personal training and uh, inter take an interest in fitness. There's going to be numerous ways an individual in exercise science and NASM certifications can go. Numerous ways. So I think that's the, the wonderful part. They continue to be new ventures or new positions being held at the higher levels. So yeah. I have a very optimistic outlook for the young <laughs> aspiring sports scientists or exercise scientists or personal trainers right now. Right. Wendy, if I, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in real quick because you know where I'm heading is yeah. I have three young boys and one of them, he's going to be 21 this month, one of my twins. He really didn't know what he wanted to do. So I kind of just threw it out there, threw it out there. Now he's in the middle of taking his NASM CPT Great. and you could see the wheel spinning. I'm like, yep, you could, yep, yep, yep. You know, and it's just like, get that. And then, you know, I'm like, then you can work on your degree. And he's starting to see how endless the possibilities are. We're not even talking about business ownership yet or anything like that. So it's exciting to see that next generation maybe have a clearer vision or more opportunities because of all the things that we did going through the industry when it was a little more unknown. But I also, you know, you might have a free intern coming down your way at some point, free labor. You know, you know, I'm only an hour from you. So yeah. <laughs> Let's, where are you again? Palm Beach Gardens. I'm an oh, hour. Yes, yes. All right. But look, come on down. I'll come up. I'll work under you, Marty. 
<laughs> I love it. And those of you guys that are just joining Marty Miller and I on to on today's Master Instructor Roundtable, we have a special guest, Dr. Tony Ritchie here for joining us. And, you know, he's got a background. He's an owner of a gym, works with, with professional athletes, specifically more in martial arts and boxing. But then he took it to a different level. Now he is a professor at NOVA and um, as well as on our advisory board. So, you know, we can't thank you enough for being here. But, you know, for, for me, you know, we have the, the background, we know where you came from, we know how you get started. Like, what are, what, what are you doing now? Like, what kind of research are you working on at NOVA? Can you kind of tell us where, where's your passion right at this moment? Yeah, so I, I'm very lucky. And the reason for that, well, I'm very lucky in many manners. And, and uh, just briefly to say that, it, sure, you have to work hard in life, but um, you need a little luck, right? Uh, so you, it, it keeps us humble and grateful, I think, because a lot of things can still go wrong no matter how hard you try. But I, because I'm an adjun uh, adjunct in psychology and neuroscience, uh, by the way, she is an advisory board member as well, Dr. Jamie Tartar. I think you all know her. She has her PhD in neuroscience. So most of my research will be collaborating with Dr. Tartar and I have a great interest in how the brain, this is overly simplified, but how the brain affects peripheral performance. So as an example, how cognition, how we think literally changes, systemically might change physiology. And you know, a, the easiest example is if somebody's really anxious or has high levels of anxiety, what does that not only do cognitively, but what are the effects somatically? The, you know, the muscle tension that's increased, the hyperventilation, if you will, short, breathing, um, the in increase in heart rate, all, all the things that happen. So I have a great interest on the sport neuro side in how the brain can either negatively impact performance if we are not optimizing how we utilize our thought processes or how can we optimize it through cognition or even for example, motor imagery, which I find super fascinating. So we have a research project going on right now where we will have athletes actually imaging a motor skill and then actually applying the motor skill, you know, and then a, a control situation as well. And my aspiration there is to see just what markers change at the peripheral level when the athlete can effectively image that motor skill and apply it. So we're going to measure what happens when they do it. This would be at the heart rate level, respiratory level, electrodermal activity, EEG, and brain, see what's going on in the brain. And then what we're going to do when we take that data and we're going to match it up against creating the same pattern through motor imaging. And the reason why I'm so fascinated by imagery is because we see that fMRI studies or EMG studies show that if you just image something, you can then activate the same part of the muscles in the brain as if you were really doing it. So if we have the ability, here's where my research is in a nutshell right now. If we have the ability to learn while we are not training, that's a good thing, if that makes sense. You can only train the body two to three hours a day max. Imagine if you can train it eight hours a day mentally and effectively rehearse neuromotor activity and motor skills through the brain and really translate that to the live activity. So that's where I am right now. That's part of it. And it's really exciting because I believe wholeheartedly in this as a skill. That's, I mean, so many different things are going through my head. I know, me one, too. I'm like, ooh, I got another one. 
I just wish that you would discuss something you were passionate about. You know? <laughs> no, I, I do kind of like it, Marty. I must say that I, I get a little excited and, but um, it's really cool because the brain is the new universe for sport performance, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's so many books that I've read that dabble, I mean, in so many different parts, it's such an untapped uh part of what uh, we do each and every day, right? You yeah. know, how people perceive exercise or how the brain affects, you know, our exercise affects the brain long-term health. I mean, there's so many fascinating things. So I'm really excited. And I know NASM uh, and I'm, I'm sure Wendy's too, like can't wait to see what you come out with because it's, there's so many new ideas and new things that are going to come from that cognitive side of fitness. There's, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I guess if, if you, you had mentioned this in the very beginning, so when you first started, you said, you know, you can see the effects of someone that they, they train all the time. They're so ready for their competition or whatever it is that they're getting ready to do. And then they go out there, they're a nervous wreck. They don't perform at their highest level. And it's like everything that they've been training for, they do a complete 180 and it's yeah. like a disaster. And, you know, and they didn't execute like they thought they could. And you know that they're capable of doing and That's unfortunately, right. I've seen that happen. They call it like they bonked or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, nutrition was spot on and everything. So what what advice do you give someone like our trainers, for example, if they notice? I mean, they're not doing all the, the research, maybe to the extent that you are. But what advice do you give someone when you've seen them and you've worked on them and you know that they can do that, but you're seeing that in competition? Right. So this it's, it is a great challenge. And to your point, Wendy, I remember being in a particular UFC fight. It was a world title fight. And I'm getting text messages from everybody after a great camp. Why didn't you do this with him? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't he do this in the middle of the fight? And I think the first thing, the, the, the way we should think, or you know, I hate saying so didactically, but the way we can think is... It's natural for some people to be nervous and have some anxiety, and there is nothing wrong with that. So I don't think wasting the energy on combating it like the old thought stoppage where we say, oh, I better stop thinking this way. Better stop thinking this way. The one thing I have learned, if you're personal training or a strength coach or performance enhancement specialist, the athlete will reveal to you at some given point where they struggle. They may unintentionally do it. They may intentionally do it. And so some of the things you could do is we talk about that in the PES, right? The really active listening and taking in information from that athlete because they're willing to share it. So what do we do there? Well, if we're not a sports psychologist or a certified mental performance coach, what do you do? Well, if you have, I'll just use an example quickly. You have an athlete, they were a stand-up fighter, very successful, kickboxer, uh, almost a world, you know, maybe a world champ. Now they're transitioning to MMA. And when they're training with you, they say, you know, yeah, I get really nervous on the ground, right? I, I'm still nervous down there. I don't have the experience. Everybody's yelling a lot of instruction at me. Well, they just revealed to you, and this happens a lot, that that's somewhere where they struggle mentally. What can you do? Well, and if you don't have the background in the mental performance coaching, that's okay. Okay. But what we can do is how do we take exercises? How do we do drills? How do we do things that may build their confidence in an environment that is less pressure? So, for example, the athlete can't, you know, I'm a little nervous on the ground, Wendy. All right. Well, we'll do some hip thrusts. 
Now, that sounds easy or overly cliche, but it's not because what you're doing, the intent of personal training, in my view, and the intent of performance enhancement is not only to provide information and safe quality training. It is to get the athlete or the individual to believe that they can do something and that what they're doing at that given time is going to translate to what they want to do. So if you see your athlete, oh, you know, I'm a little nervous like this. You know, I don't have a lot of punching power when I'm in the ring. Okay. Well, the, the young NASM personal trainer can do a little research. If they haven't worked with the fighting, you know, fighters yet, how can I improve punching power? Hey, we're doing this. Here's our exercises. So if you listen, we will find out what quality that athlete believes they need and help to augment that, maybe not the skill side but the belief in that what we're doing will translate to the skill. Yeah, I love that because going back to everybody's an athlete, we need those skills for every single person we train. Because, you know, one thing that we know from sports but applies to life is you got to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. And that goes to the average person that wants to do cardio and wants to lose weight, but they'll never get their heart rate over 50% because they think it's going to hurt and they're fearful of it. So whatever their level of stress is, it's not like getting kicked or punched in the face, right? Or choked out, but it could create even as much or more anxiety than a professional fighter, right? Because, so that's where I think, you know, understanding the soft skills or the, you know, there's the science of training, then there's the art of it, right? Because every situation is a little different. But I think that again, if we go back to what we do in elite sports, there's absolutely a carryover with our clients because they're just as afraid about, things that we would make look easier, not fully understand unless we're really passionate about listening. Great. Yeah. And that is, you, you, we will be told, I think, Marty, what inevitably somebody will, when you spend time with them, will let you know what they feel good about and what they feel bad about and where they want to go. And our job is if we are attentive and boy, was I, you know, always overly ambitious. No, we're going to do this. We're going to accomplish this and just back off listen and you'll learn what they need and the pace at which you should administer something too. So you're so, the, and by the way, the, the revision of the performance enhancement specialist is doing a really nice, there's great content in there actually on communication and giving consideration to all of this and the active listening and even the motivational interviewing style of sitting back and letting the client tell you where they are where they, well, I should say this, where they've been, where they are, where they don't want to go and where they do want to go. And if you have that information, you will constructively create a path that enables them to achieve that journey probably much more effectively with more fun and quicker than they would ever can without you. Yeah, I love it. I cannot wait for the new PES to be done so we can all get our, our little hands exactly. on it. And I know that you authored one of our chapters um, specifically on sports psychology. So I'm guessing there's little components of what you said, or do you want to kind of give us a little more insight about your chapter and what we're going to learn from you? Well, I I hope you learn. Um, (laughs) I always hope someone can learn from me, but it is a performance psychology chapter. And we call it performance psychology because we want it to translate into all areas of performance. While While it can really help the performance enhancement specialist, a lot of what's in there would be good for somebody who's a CEO who has to give a speech in front of 8,000 of their employees, and they don't particularly love doing that. So there's information there on how to construct a, a positive mindset and framework for any given endeavor. 
But I think where the chapter really rests on is a, a lot of listening and helping to create and orchestrate a path for that athlete to achieve those objectives and simultaneously being open to where, I don't want to call it a weakness, but where they may struggle. How is the athlete thinking? How are they impeded? Well, here are the psychological skill trainings, uh, methodologies or strategies or mental skill training strategies that we could potentially use for each given situation. That's contained within the chapter. So whether it's anxiety, doubt, lack of confidence, low self-efficacy, um, you know, uh, fatigue, anything along those lines, there are strategies that can help direct the athlete to, if you want to say it, override their current cognition with something that may be more positive. That's the gist of that chapter. And of course, how to communicate and translate performance enhancement into mental enhancement. How is that a chapter? It seems like that should be a book. <laughs> Well, you know what? It's a, it's about 70 pages. I don't know exactly what y'all are going to revise it to. But it might uh, be a mini book. On I'm telling you, I could sit here and listen to you all day. I find yes. all of this so fascinating. Um, I know there's a lot about my brain I would love to learn about to figure out why I do what I do. So maybe I just need to come down and hang out with you for a while. Dr. Rich, <laughs> that, that would take a book for you. No. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I would be an interesting <laughs> test subject as well. You Marty made that said. way too easy after 17 years. Come on. <laughs> you know. Wendy, I'm confident I can maybe share some good ideas with you. They just haven't worked on myself yet, but they will. <laughs> Hey, that's okay. You remember, you know, always have someone else try it out. And if it works, exactly. maybe try it again. <laughs> right, right. Well, for those of you that are just joining us, it's been a great session so far. We're here with Dr. Ricci. He's on our NASM Scientific Advisory Board. We've been talking about that the entirety of this. But can you just give everyone a little bit of understanding of what goes on with an advisory board? And, you know, we know internally why that's so important for NASM that we don't, we want outside people but, you know, from someone that's been sitting on the advisory board, can you share what that process looks like a little bit for you being in that role? Yeah. So I have to tell you, it is, I, I, it's a wonderful experience. Let me say that in all sincerity. And I think if you are an NASN certified individual, whether it's personal trainer, PS or the host of others, you have a lot to be proud of. There's some great people on the board that work really hard. And one of the things that attracts me to this organization, and Marty and when you both display it, um, the people at NASM really care about what they're doing. They really want to make and deliver a good product to, to their members, to their candidates, those who want to be certified. So the board is a wonderful experience because they are constantly beating back and forth, playing ping pong. What can we do? How do we make this better? Uh, what can we do to expand NASM's reach and provide the general population way above and beyond our current membership with, with great information? So the experience is something where I learn. I get to spend time with people from multiple disciplines. I would like everyone to know you have experts in nutrition, sport psychology, sport technology, um, exercise physiology on the board, physical therapy. The board is very diverse and constantly focused on bringing not only the most relevant product, but a, a, a product of great value to everyone. So it's, it's a, it gives me pleasure and pride to be a part of NASM every time I'm on a board meet because it's, it's people, 
and I have re referred a lot of people to work with this organization and everybody comes back with two words after I refer them. Thank you. Because it's a wonderful team to work with and the board meetings and the science advisory board works hard to try to, like I said, consistently bring new information, relative, uh, relevant information and just update and make a great certified or certification for the candidates. Well, and I, awesome. I'm just going to probably speak for Marty and I, too. I mean, I know that's one of the reasons that we're with NASM and we've been with the NASM, you know, because we say 17 years, almost since birth. Um, you know, we it's scientific, it's evidence-based. And as you just said, I mean, we're constantly updating research. We have the best of the best on our advisory board. We have people that are constantly updating that's our amazing. textbooks. And I know we got a question. Um, and so CH um, wanted, wanted to know where we could read your chapter. And I'll just go ahead and say that I know that the, the PES is um, going through its last edits and we're hoping yes. will be launched very, very soon. I don't have a launch date, unfortunately, I don't. Um, but I mean, I know I haven't even seen it either. And I am super excited because I know they have updated every one of those chapters. They have included pieces on recovery. And like you said, sports psychology and just yeah. it's just a completely different book than what we've ever seen before. Um, and I am just I'm super grateful for people like you that have, you know, put your expertise in one chapter, let alone all these other people that you just um, were talking about. And I know I'm super grateful to be a part of this team as well. And for the exact same reasons, we're passionate yeah. because we're with people and surround our, ourselves with passionate people that all have the same love and interest in common. And, and that is evident to me and everyone that I know who works with NASM. It's really, it's a, it's great. The passion, love, and dedication is what I feed off of from this team. It's great. Excellent. Well, Dr. Ichi, I know we could speak to you for hours. We can't thank you enough for carving out just a sliver of time in your very busy day. And I am sure you'll be getting an email or call from one of us very soon about anything, <laughs> other things, but I'm sure we would love to have you back as a guest in the near future. And and I'm sure 100% I'd love to be back, Marty, Wendy. It's it's always great to spend time like we, we're just with a like-minded group and, and share things we love with other individuals who love it just as much. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ricci. Thank you, everyone that attended. And keep an eye out for that new PES update. And I'll be okay if you go right to that chapter. I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> thanks so much, everybody. And we'll see you again next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.